0: A good leader keeps a sharp eye on their P&L, but even if you're all about the money, it can't be all about the money. To achieve sustainable success, you need people and you need leadership. That's the other P&L, and it's what we'll be talking about in this show. Join Director of People and Culture, Aura Hewitt, and me, Leadership Strategist, Julie Quinn, as we help you improve the other P&L, people and leadership. Welcome, everybody. i love that you've chosen to join us today. My name is Julie Quinn, and I am a leadership strategist, consultant, and coach, passionate about motivation, management, meaningful work. And I run the Uncommon Collaboratory, where I teach leaders a reliable framework for achieving alignment, accountability, and engagement throughout their workforce at every level. And Aura, why don't you introduce yourself as our co-host?
1: Hi, Julie. I am so excited to be here. My name is Ora Hewitt and I work in human resources, people and culture, how we like to call it. And I am so excited to be here. More importantly of today, not only about the show, having James here as our speaker, I am super excited and Julie super excited to have him here so he can educate us not only about his new book, called the diversity factor which is all about performance uh, igniting performance within organization and we are talking about superior performance and i also wanted to do an introduction because this is pretty cool james actually just became one of the 200 leaders in new hampshire which is amazing so congratulations james and welcome <laughs> We are not only proud of the work that you have done throughout the years of your book. Also, so excited for you to come here and connect with us and teach us and share not only a piece of you, which is the book that just came out. We are super excited. Welcome and welcome Armando, Tanal and also Kim. You guys are in great hands with James.
0: That's great. Our format today will be just right over to our guest speaker. So James, we'll start off with just having you, you know, give us an introduction. Um, Tell us a little bit about what you've been up to lately and about your new book. And then we'll have a little bit of a conversation, very casual. James, tell us a little bit about what you've been up to and what you have just put out into the world recently.
2: Well, thank you, Julie, and thank you, Aura. It's so great to be here. And The pressure's on now after that buildup that Aura gave (laughs) me. I guess I have to be good. I'll do my best. It's really been an exciting last few weeks, just getting ready to birth this book. And so I've been really gathering last stories and polishing a few things here and there to make sure that the description gets across what the book is really about. And Julie, I love how you tee up this people aspect of the p It's so critical. We don't think of people as assets in our organizations, really. We think of them as an expense. And the fact that we talk about labor being the most expensive piece of an organization is reflective of that when it really should be taught that people are assets. So that's kind of the gist of the book and the gist of what I do is to help Organizations see that people and technology are assets. Organizations also see technology as an expense, and they don't see it as an asset. This whole digital transformation movement is helping to make that shift from seeing IT as an expense to seeing it as an asset. I've been spending the last few months, besides working on the book, Working with a number of organizations, mostly nonprofits of late, a couple of for-profits in there as well, but helping them to understand doing an assessment of those organizations to see where they stand today with respect to diversity, equity, and inclusion, and then making recommendations for them to improve and trying to take that data-driven approach of we're going to create a benchmark of where you are today through doing this assessment. And then we're going to help you create some mechanisms for tracking. Your progress. And Armando does a great job of talking about how to track performance using a balanced scorecard approach. I love the way that Armando talks about that. It's just so exciting. So I'm helping these organizations starting off with what is diversity? What is equity? What is inclusion? Because we use those words, we throw them around, and we don't stop to think about, well, what do they really mean? And so many folks think of diversity as just race or ethnicity or gender, but they don't see the wide spectrum that is diversity. And, and as you all know, I love the definition that Marilyn Loden created in 1991 around the diversity wheel that talks about characteristics of our personality. And so diversity is really about having As many people as possible with as many of those personality characteristics as possible. And then equity, equity versus equality. What's the difference between those two? And equity really being supporting people where they are based on what their needs are, not assuming that everyone is equal. And of course, inclusion, that active and ongoing engagement with diverse people. So I spend time giving speeches and workshops that help people first understand those definitions before you get into the more difficult and challenging discussions about, well, how does this apply to our organizations? This is
0: great, James. I'm brimming with questions already. um, Me too. (laughs) (laughs) And before I ask them, just a couple of things I wanted to note. The tracking, well, actually, everything you just mentioned, having a benchmark and saying, okay, you want to go from A to B, and how do we measure whether you're getting to B? What's the definition of these things? And how do we know whether we're doing a good job of it, right? One of the things I just want to note is, as you just said, before we start going headlong into trying to fix things, let's figure out what it is we're looking to actually fix. One of the questions I ask my clients is, what will it look like when we're successful? really specifically when you look around, when you listen, when you exchange, when you interact, what's different? What do you have more of? What do you have less of? And that starting with the end in mind kind of thing, and then working from there can give you a lot of different ways to track and measure. So I love what I'm hearing already. And or I'll toss it over to you for some questions as well.
1: Absolutely. Thank you, Julie. I love that piece. For me, it's like, Music to my ears, the angle on my thinking of the future and what are the steps that we need to be taking today to ensure that we can have the organization that we want to have. So, and not only the organization, but also ensure that we are upskilling the people, ensure that we are adjusting the organization to not only meet people needs, to go beyond that, to embrace them, to ensure that they can be their full personas and that when people are their food personas, they're gonna also is gonna translate in grow and everything. It's all about the people. And James and Julie have heard me say this: people either break or make organizations. And we have huge opportunities to ensure that we embrace people grow them, upskill them so they can be prepared not only for the work of today, the work of the future, and they can find their full purpose within the organization and be their full personas and achieve their own vision and values as people. James, I'm really curious to know about What did you surprise you during these interviews? I know that you went through multiple interviews as a result of putting together the book, also ensuring like checking out where people were coming from different perspectives. What was something that surprised you? I know you interview multiple people, but I'm curious. That is just my curiosity coming through. So I really want to hear that. Like, what did you surprise you during the interviews?
2: A couple of things I can think of that surprised me. One was how many organizations don't have goals and objectives. I just had this notion that everyone really understood the value of goals and objectives and had them, and it was just widespread the other way. So many organizations don't have goals and objectives to begin with, which is where I start with, well, what are your organizational goals? DEI is just a tool. Really, it's a vehicle to help you get to those goals. If you don't have the goals in the first place, how do you know when you've reached them? How do you know when you've gotten where you want to go? So that was one thing that surprised me. Another thing that surprised me though, was that this notion of people only see diversity as black and white and maybe gender. I was surprised at how prevalent that was across Organizations that, I mean, you would recognize some of the names of some of the people I've been working with, clients I've been working with, and they don't really have the full broad definition of diversity that we've just talked about. So that's why I'm doing the workshops with them to explain those terms and say, start with being on the same page about definitions.
1: Thank you, James. That is insightful. And it's interesting that those were the two in terms of the definitions. One of the things that I have found with organizations I have support is that piece of the definitions is definitely not clear across. And some of the definitions is like, no, that's not really what it means. (laughs) Let me explain. But yeah, that's exciting. I do have other questions. So, Julia, I know you have lots of questions that you have to, as James was talking. The other question that I have is how can organizations now that your book is out? Obviously, you have been available to many organizations throughout the consultants, through your consulting career. How can organizations move from, obviously, the first is obviously having objectives and goals? We get it, James. How can they start before we bring them into the DNI journey? Because as you mentioned, the DNI is is a vehicle, but there are certain things that need to happen before we can utilize that.
2: Right. So I get this question all the time, and I know everybody in the space doing the consulting in the space gets that question. Where do I start? There's so many things I'm hearing, so many places I could start. Where do I start? One place I suggest people start is form a DEI committee. If you don't have one, form one and make sure that it is full of members from each of your stakeholders in your organization. And that's another thing that I was a little surprised that people don't ask the question, who are our stakeholders, right? That 360 view of the organization, who are all our stakeholders, stakeholder groups, and you want representation on that committee from everyone in the, all of the stakeholder groups, That's a really good place to start because just establishing that sends a signal to the organization that DEI is important.
1: Thank you, James. That's super helpful. Julie, I know you have the other question. I see you. I see you.
0: No, these are great. These are great. So going back to something that you mentioned before, without goals and objectives, how do you hook this to anything, right? And one of the things I think has been really useful with the folks I've been working with is, is starting with that even if they don't have goals and objectives, usually people can answer the question, fast forward two years, what's different? If everything goes according to plan, if everything goes swimmingly, what's different in two years? Do you have more clients? Do you have more revenue? Did you grow? Did you maintain? Did you kill the competitor? What's different in two years if everything goes really well with your business? And usually people can answer that. And right there, you've got okay. Now I've got a vision. Right. It may be scrappy, but it's a vision. And so okay. Well, what do you need more of or less of in order to get to that vision? And usually people can answer that. Well, I need more clients, or I need more salespeople, or I need better yada, yada. And then I'll ask a question, what in your culture currently is helping you get there? And what in your culture is hindering you from getting there? And they will answer that question. CEOs, executive teams, they'll have all kinds of answers to what in the culture is getting in the way of the vision. And right there, we have just made the synapses connect and you go, then culture is a strategic lever. Right. And it's like mind blown. Oh, (laughs) culture matters. Right. And so if culture matters, then we should pay attention to it. And if we should pay attention to it, then we should be disciplined about doing the work, you know deciding what to do, tracking what to do, and deciding whether we've been successful at doing it. And one of the pieces that I think just tends to get lost is then, okay, as DEI, as part of culture, as part of strategy, then that hooking of DEIB to culture can be where folks need a little more help. So James, can you tell me a little bit about what has helped your clients and your interviewees kind of have that light bulb go off where DEI matters. It is a strategic lever. Can you tell us a couple stories
2: about that? This is really interesting because you really want DEI to be embedded in everything. You don't want it to be a separate thought. You want the notion that everyone is inclusive to be the way that people just operate, right? So one of the things that I think has helped is talking about principles and values. What are your values? What do you value as an organization? What makes you unique from your competition, right? What values do you have? What principles have you defined that, and principles guide behavior, right? Principles are the way that we say, this is how we want people to behave. You're not being a point specific for for how to perform a task with a principle, but you're setting guidelines for people to determine how they're going to behave. So explaining how values and principles and many organizations have values and principles already that somewhat speak to inclusion. Like they they say, we value inclusivity, right? They'll say that. Have they thought about that, what that really means? Probably not, but they at least say it. So there's a good start there. So I ask, so what's your definition of inclusion? And once they generally say, well, having everyone have equal access. And I say, okay, that's great. What about people who aren't brave enough, who don't feel they can interact, don't feel they can put themselves out there? What about them? Yes, you may say, well, we've built this environment that's inclusive, but if those people aren't coming forth, how are they really being included? So that's where the active nature comes in, active engagement with people. So when you start hearing that difference, that's part of what makes it click.
0: And I love that, right? Because you can then weave that into management, performance management, expectation setting, employer brand. You know, you can weave that into every part of your organization, customers, vendors, and then it becomes part of your standard operating procedure. And I can't agree more that DEI, any culture work, really any people work, it shouldn't be separate and something even complimentary to the business. It is the business, you know, and the more we can really help people to understand that honestly what's keeping you up at night is not whether two plus three equals five. It's how Joe and Tony are or are not getting along enough to make the sale, all right? It's always people issues. And so how can we help as consultants, coaches, HR professionals, how can we help leaders understand how to weave that people and leadership into the organization and keep an eye on that? Wonderful. James, more on that topic.
2: Yeah, can I pick up on something you just said? Because I spend a number of chapters in the book on this topic of performance management. I was fortunate enough to speak with Kurt House, who's the author of Organizational Performance, The Keys to Success in the 21st Century. And he so well describes the, the organizational performance management system. And he, he talks about the connection between what he calls the core competencies of an organization that the marketing, the development of products and services, and the customer service, and all of the supporting processes and mechanisms for those core processes. So what I'm doing in the book is talking about how does diversity, equity, and inclusion play into the organizational performance management system that helps you achieve those goals and objectives that you said that you want to achieve. So performance management is so important. And I guess another surprise and probably not so much of a surprise, but people don't think systemically when it comes to their organization, they think in silos, they think, well, sales is off doing their thing. They need to be good at it. And that's all, as long as they're good at it, sales is okay no sales has to be integrated with marketing it has to be integrated with understanding what the product or service is and what it can and what it cannot do one of my big frustrations when i was in the technology space is we had salespeople who would go out and sell a product that couldn't do what they sold that it was going to do well why did they do that because they were trying to be great at sales but not really integrated with the r d side of the house and what the product actually was so this integration that's why I named the company Organizational Ignition. I want to reach that ignition point where there's alignment of people, process, and technology.
1: Awesome. So this is, I love, James, what you just said because that is so true. Definitely in organizations, many times there is a disconnect really with the entire system and how we all coexist and also what are the needs of each department and how we can help and support one another, right? And the example that you just provided of how sometimes we go and sell a product that actually doesn't do what we think in the mind think I could understand how that could have affected you in terms of the technology side and also others within your department and within the team. So I want to go back to something that both you and Julie mentioned, which is Performance, right, and measuring. So, as you know, I'm a big fan of measuring. If you don't measure, we have no idea where we are, if we achieve it, or if we are even in target, or if we are off target. I want to ask, in terms of your book, what can the audience expect in terms of you highlighting certain aspects of measuring that can help them to support their organizations and also bring their organizations to the next level of performance through measuring? So
2: the floor is yours, James. Great question. So I have a whole chapter on measurement. Um, whole chapter. whole chapter I spend on measurement. And based on research I've done in the organizations I've worked with, I've come up with four categories of goals that can be measured, business permission, mission, process, people, and technology slash facilities. Those are the four areas. And I've identified 19 different types of goals that you can identify in each of those four areas.
1: That sounds great. So, for all of you guys listening now, you guys know which is gonna be my favorite chapter: measuring.
0: Oh, celebrating over here! She's yeah. like nineteen
1: things I can. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. All yeah. of them are gonna be my favorite chapter for sure. But measuring definitely extra applause because right. that's something that we know that organization struggle with, and I'm glad that you put this chapter, specifically a full chapter focusing on measuring. So, thank you, James. Yeah.
2: A couple of things that I think are surprising to people when I suggest to them, though, these are goals you could establish. Think about lawsuits. How many lawsuits has your organization had around discrimination? Maybe it's a goal to reduce the number or to continue to have none, but think about the lawsuits around discrimination. That's kind of the outside world. Think of your suppliers. How many of your suppliers have a DEI plan? Put a number to it. Put a number to the number you're going to ask to have a DEI plan by a certain date. These are things that don't necessarily come to mind when you think of goals around an organization at all, let alone run the DEI. That's another bit of a tip or sense of what you'll see in the chapter.
1: This is super insightful. Thank you for providing the feedback on measuring. And then I want us to actually, so sorry, Julie, I'm taking over, but as you know, I have a passion for people measuring and technology. You're off and running. So James mentioned technology. So topic, chapter, insights?
2: I don't have chapter specifically on technology. Technology is addressed in the last few sections. I do have a section that talks about that is focusing on technology. And I talk about how from a user perspective, the producers of the technology need to be aware of diversity. Uh, We have recent examples of facial recognition software and, and systems that don't recognize people of color, voice recognition systems that don't recognize women. My wife has a horrible time with voice recognition systems, right? So from the user's perspective, We need organizations to understand that those differences need to be developed for. On the operations of IT perspective, well, IT folks are people, right? So all those things we talk about in terms of how we interact with people apply to IT folks too. They just have certain proclivities because of the way their brains think, and I'm one of them, but they're people too. So we really need to think about the technology that's enabling our organizations. And in fact, now when we talked about digital transformation, starting to drive the performance of our organizations, it's such a critical aspect that we need to pay attention to.
1: Thank you, James. This is great. And I'm glad that you provide us with these insights in the piece of technology. And I'm also glad that you address those pieces within your book, because this is going to be so insightful for everybody that reads the book and get to know also how Technology can either include or not include certain groups. And you provide great examples of those. So I'm definitely looking forward throughout the book to see the pieces of technology that you introduce. I wanted to stop here for a second with Julie and with James, and wanted to actually first of all thank James for the amazing time he has provided to us now in this conversation. And I also wanna take a moment to open for questions anything that you guys in the audience have and then Julie I know you have more questions so I just needed to jump in so who would like to go first any questions for James
0: and if you have a question you can just take yourself off mute oh Kim yeah please
3: this is great and I'm really looking forward to reading your book I worked in customer experience, training customer service representatives and leaders because they don't understand and leadership often doesn't understand that what they do and the culture they have has to do with everything right out into their, out into the population of their customers. And one of the first conversations I ever had with Julian Aura was about how companies set up what is their culture. But then they it's not the culture at all, which is absolutely crazy making for employees and eventually the customers. So I liked what you said about the sales team not being able to use the product that they sell because a lot of companies, they'll train like, let's say you hired me to support your product. So you tell me what your product is and you tell me what I'm allowed to do, but then you give me no training on how to deal with these people who are on the phone. So I think that everything that you're talking about today, it meshes with that. And I'm very excited to read it because I think it's going to help me. Because when I'm working with these people, number one, they don't realize that having a culture is more than having a list of what you think your culture is. And then never making sure that's what it is. And it's certainly not hiring people and then not playing to their strengths. And I think you touched on that as well. When I was a manager of a call center, there were some people that I had to do one thing and other people that never did that thing because they weren't good at it. But upper management would always be like, you need to cross train everybody. Well, I'm sorry, the neurosurgeon's never going to be a dentist, you know, and that's something as well. So I'm just excited. I'm really looking forward to this. I like the work that you're doing and the diversity inclusion most places if you ask them what does inclusion mean they have no idea at least I have had that in my experience, you know, inclusion means, yeah, I hired somebody who's Latina. It, no, that's not what inclusion means. It goes beyond that. So there's my passion. I'm going to shut up, well, but and I appreciate and this.
2: I've run into that too. And, and just recently, I've really run into organizations where, as you said, they hire the Latino person. I mean, Manchester, New Hampshire, and our school district just hired a chief equity officer and Tina Philippot, she's a really good friend of mine. And we go, back, she taught my daughter, but what I'm seeing in that organization and in many organizations is they think we'll just hire a chief diversity officer and everything will take care of itself. No, (laughs) it doesn't. That person can be a focal point for the issues and the challenges, but the organization has a culture and the CDO, one person can't change the culture. It has to be the leadership doing the changing of the culture by example, not just by words.
0: Yeah, I told, I'll jump in real quick. Just this morning, actually on LinkedIn, I shared a post. It was an article by Gallup. You know, they always do such lovely work and they're doing a lot recently, additional context around their latest book called It's the Manager, which I wholeheartedly agree with. It is always the manager, whether it's the CEO as manager or the frontline supervisor as manager, it's always the manager. And we're right, right? We can say all the words we want to say but it's action. And it's action at every level. And it's alignment between action and intention that what we look for. And if you don't have that alignment, you lose trust, you lose credibility, and you lose customers, and then you lose your business. You know, So we've seen that happen in big ways with big names. We've seen it happen with the mom and pop shops. And very unfortunately, we don't see it enough to make enough in that, what I mean by that is a lot of businesses can limp along without the diversity, without the alignment, without the accountability. Yes, we can limp along. But if you want to be a great business and competitive and differentiated and really grow and be a place that isn't plagued by the great resignation right now, then you got to pay attention to your p <laughs> that's people in leadership everything else will fall fall away from there for sure thanks so much kim
3: yes my question with that cuz i kept talking what do you guys do to make the leadership or the company owners understand that they have a problem when they don't see that they have a problem or they're too arrogant to consider they could ever possibly have a problem do you have a specific thing that you do
2: I tend to get them into kind of role play opportunities with just leaders. So here's another, something I found very valuable. Leaders don't want to be seen as not knowing everything, right? They have this perception that they're trying to keep within their organizations. So you can't expect to have them in a workshop or in a conversation with the people who report to and get them to really do that introspective work that they need to do to to understand that they don't have all the answers, right? So pulling together peer networks of leaders, CEO to CEO, vice president of HR to vice president of HR, vice president of sales to vice president of sales, and then having the conversations with them about, so how do you feel about the way your organization is operating and how the people are getting along together? just ask that question and julie asked at the beginning talked about those leading questions of how do you feel about this are people doing what you want to do and why do you think they're not doing what you want them to do that seems to be a really good way of getting them to understand and also i talk about carol dweck's work with the growth mindset If you have managers, and I go through this little exercise with people, I ask questions that are oriented to a fixed mindset. So how do you respond to, do you seek out learning from others? Don't just kind of expect it to be there, but do you seek it out and recognize that seeing what other people are doing is going to be helpful to you? If you don't recognize that, you've got a fixed mindset. If you do recognize that. Then you've got a growth mindset, and you're likely to be more successful that way.
1: Great insights, James. Thank you. What other questions does the audience have for James? James, I'll just piggyback
2: on what you said for purposes of these great, great questions, and I really am interested in your perspectives on the organizations that think that you know, hey, we had the policy, it's posted, and we did the rah-rah. And you've heard me use the term carnival diversity, and we had the great day that everyone was on board, but that's it. Everyone sort of, okay, we did it. Check mark. Now we're off and running. Yeah. And I was chatting with Julie briefly before we got started. I'm in a situation like that where part of the leadership team has that vision that, yeah, we got the policy and we had the day and a kickoff, so we're off. We're good. And it's like, yeesh. So would love your additional thoughts and perspectives on how else we can help move the needle in a scenario like that. So this is such a great question because it connects some several things we've been talking about already. It connects Ara's love of metrics with Julie's mention about performance management, right? So and it connects to what I just said about asking leaders, are you getting the results you expect? Why not? Why do you think you're not getting those results, right? But the performance management system, how is performance management done in the organization, is performance rankings, ratings, however that happens, tied to values and principles. Does the manager understand to ask the question during a performance review, how have your actions over the last six months, nine months, a year, whatever, how have they shown that you're exhibiting the values that we say we represent in the company? How have they represented that you followed the principles that we've established that are the culture that we say we want to have? So making that connection such that it's the person's, the individual's actions mapped to what the organization wants. Thanks.
1: Thank you. Any other questions at this time? If there are none, I want to take a moment here to thank you all for attending. A Special thanks to our special game, Jess McKim. Thank you for being here. We are so excited to learn from you within this panel and also to get the insights from your book. Julie, thank you for joining us. And it's so excited for us to have this conversation here. In
2: so, Do we have time for a couple more Julie's questions?
1: Of course we do. Oh
0: gosh, James, we'd be here all afternoon. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, No, but that's great. You know, some of the other things that are on my mind have to do with exactly what Kim and Armando just brought up. And that is really making people understand or helping people to understand that the business includes people and people include complexities that need to be taken care of, not on a one-off basis, but on an ongoing basis. And I think... One of my big challenges, I think, is just kind of thinking about a couple of the clients that I've been more recently working with is I am able to get them to understand that yes, they have a vision, the culture and including diversity may be able to be leveraged as part of the strategy to get to that vision. And then I'll ask, how important is that relative to other functions in the organization? And they'll say, oh, it's awfully important, <laughs> And, you know, with the evidence right there in front of them. And then the question of, OK, then how will you hold yourself accountable? Comes.
2: Yes. yes.
0: And then the chorus of crickets starts because they're like, um, you know, because is it in your board meeting? Are you reporting on it? You know, is it, do you have milestones like a 30, 60, 90 that you have in finance? Do you have revenues like in sales? Do you have something that you're tracking? How are you going to hold yourself and your colleagues and your direct reports accountable for it? And that's probably my big question. If you've got a magic bullet for that one, that'd be awesome. And if not, we've got job security for a good long while.
2: Oh, I think we've got job security for a little bit of time. Some of the smaller organizations and the less mature organizations don't have this accountability gene in them, <laughs> that's what I call it. So they're not thinking about accountability in the first place, let alone when it comes to DEI. Right? Yeah. Getting that sense of why accountability is important and why performance management is important is what I think helps with that.
0: Yeah, for sure. One of the things I would love to talk more about, and this conversation has been wonderful about that, is, is about how to make this stuff, P&L, people in leadership, easier for people to manage. Just like finances and financials, making it easier for the manager off the street to understand a PL, and l to understand a 30-60-90, to understand how to manage their budget. So that would be a wonderful next step for this conversation. Awesome. All right
1: this is so exciting thank you all thank you all for joining us